This is Film Tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at, but why they like it, but they'll know they want it. Hello there again, everyone, and welcome in to episode 237 of our film podcast, which is called Film Tank. As per usual, Alex Diekman here with you, along with my buddy Nick Cheney. Let me go. I don't want to be a hero. Giving me nightmares, man. I know. That's why I do it. I know. That's great. Ah. <sighs> That was just you and Tucson really just terrorizing with that shit. Only because uh, you had a came out. visceral reaction to it, so <laughs> that's great. And I, and I think, in a nutshell. I think that's for great. Tucson, it was one of the few times where he was on the other side of the table, and he was like, "Oh wow, this is a way I can terrorize Alex." <laughs> <laughs> I say terrorize Alex because there's just no way to terrorize me. So. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, Tucson, uh, not able to make it for this episode, but we do have another friend with us, and that is our friend Dan, who is uh, joining us for what, like the fourth time or so? Yes, yes, I believe yes. this is my fourth. Fourth, or, fifth, somewhere Wait, yeah. it might be the fifth, fifth, actually. Yeah, I think it's the fifth, actually. Yes, fifth. Right yes, on, man. Well, oh. yes. good to have you back. Five-timer well, club. Thank you, it's... Ah, uh, yes, yes. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm nowhere near, like, I think the champ is, is what? Is Steve Martin. Sam? Oh, yeah. Steve Martin, definitely. Well, then Tom Hanks, obviously, right. and then Paul Simon, yeah. and then... Uh, yeah, I, I, and I think at this point, Anna is the champion of the guests. Oh, that is true. She, she, earlier this year, she was on three consecutive episodes, so she's oh. she was on a roll there for a while. COVID, man. <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I, I gotta get these numbers. I gotta pump these numbers up, man. These are rookie numbers I got here. I got five. That's not enough. I need to. Also, I want to do some with Sam and Anna. You know, maybe not at the same time, but I would love to have some like crossfire, you know, stuff like that. I don't know if that's yeah. even technically possible. But oh, everything you know, is possible. I, mean, I think we should. And you know what? Actually, I was thinking that we should have had a female on this episode. Not that. You shouldn't have been here, Dan, but we should have also had oh, that's right. uh, one of them or somebody else because, um, in addition to you, because this would have been a great episode to get a female perspective on. Uh, True. But, you know, Although I will happen, say this okay. has been like, when we said we were going to do this, uh, this has been like the safest I've felt talking about a movie. <laughs> Because I'm like, even though I'm like, I wasn't born and raised in Texas, but I'm like, okay, boyhood, you know, I'm like, yeah. I'm white, I was a boy, still am, you know, like, I, so right, like, it's, right. it's it's very dicey sometimes, but here I'm just like, yeah, this is in my wheelhouse. 
it's true. And in fact, uh, in fact, the uh, uh, I've been reading a lot of reviews, you know, about it in the last few weeks just to kind of get ready. And um, I, I noticed the really the only big, big criticism of the film was that there was a, that it was such a white movie, <laughs> you know, uh, which uh, is interesting. I, I think that's somewhat misplaced. But then again, it is almost three hours. So, I mean, you know, perhaps, you know, I don't know. Well, so, you whatever. know, those those Richard Linklater Texas films always have such good diversity in them. <laughs> true, <Yeah>. true. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. ter- terrible. They're so white. Oh, it yeah. is, oh they are. They are. It's, I mean, it's, Well, Daisy Confused has the one... I think there's one African American mm-hmm. character, and everybody wants them. I don't think. No, uh, at least I don't remember. No, there's actually a prominent character because he is there. Okay, yeah, good. and I, it's, I only, I only remember once, that so, because yeah. it was atypical. But there is the one, the one character who uh, <laughs> uh, who's actually one of the better. I believe his in that movie. His name was, uh, I believe, Token. And, uh, yeah, wow. it's a great character. All right. Well, uh, actually, though, you know, while we're on the subject, I love everybody wants some, but that scene where they're doing Rapper's Delight in the car, I almost laughed out loud. I'm like, there is no way a bunch of white dudes in Texas are going to know all the words for rap. They didn't even know this song but existed. Their friend was in the car. Bullshit, <laughs> bullshit. That yeah. guy probably didn't even know about it yet because they're in freaking Texas in 81. Yeah. There's no way. I'm just saying. And to know all the words, I was like, come on. Well, take it up with on. Dick. Yeah. With, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, he loves it when people call him. Well, you know, Richard. So, uh, anyway. Right, Dick. Yeah, so yeah. if, uh, if yes. anyone out there has not caught on, we are doing the Richard Linklater <laughs> film Boyhood okay. on this episode. Sorry, we jumped the... We got oh, no, skills. no. So uh, the film surrounds the life of Mason... From early childhood until his arrival at college. So the film was shot over a 12-year uh, time period, shooting, you know, I think, was it like five days or something like that? Once I, a year? I think it was two weeks in a year, which doesn't mean it was shooting okay. for the two weeks, but production, basically, two weeks. Okay. Yeah, uh, Linklater said it was sort of like, it was like their summer summer camp every two, like two weeks out of every summer. You know what I mean? Uh, and as I mentioned, directed by Richard Linklater, also written by him, who directed other films, not of this ilk, but uh, in Texas, because, you know, he, he, he loves Texas. He's from there, but he's also done a lot of other things, like the Before Trilogy uh, and a lot of other movies uh, over the years, Scanner Darkly, things like that. Anyways, so this film uh, stars Eller Coltrane as Mason, uh, the main focus of the film. Uh, and also features Patricia Arquette and also Ethan Hawke as his parents, Olivia and Mason Sr. Uh, Patricia Arquette won an Oscar for this film uh, for her role as Olivia. And also Lorelai Linklater, uh, Richard's daughter, plays the role of Samantha, Mason's sister. And she pretty um, famously didn't really want to keep participating about halfway mm-hmm. through this. Um, but ended up continuing on and uh, is in the entirety of uh, the project. So that's basically what this is about. And um, I guess I'll start us off if that's all right, everybody. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, So I remember going with Nick to Evanston to see this when it came out in 2014. 
And this seemed like such a perfect movie to see at Evanston because not that Linklater is the biggest indie filmmaker ever or anything like that, but um, this was such a super ambitious project uh, for a filmmaker to put out, especially someone like him who he's definitely not. He's a, he's like in a really weird spot because he's definitely not mainstream, but he's also not like a super independent director. So this is such a weird place. And this did get a wide release eventually, but it wasn't like a huge deal in the theater. So it was very interesting to go see this. And I remember it was it was pretty crowded, wasn't it? I mean, I, think, I don't know if it was a full theater, but it was it was a pretty, pretty, pretty packed. If I remember correctly. Do you remember, Nick? Yeah, no, it was, uh, if not sold out, pretty much on the brink. It was uh, definitely a, I feel like, everybody was there because they had heard about this crazy experiment, and that was the energy in the room. Yeah. So, again, very interesting premise. Ultra ambitious. Uh, This idea of filming over a 12-year window, um, using the same film throughout the entirety of it. So it syncs up in a way. Um, And I will say there are so many critics and people who just fall over themselves about this film. And I don't think it is in that wheelhouse of being this immaculate masterpiece or anything like that. But at the same time, I think this is a really good, really good movie. Um, I, I just, love the idea of showing these characters the, the main four that, that I mentioned earlier and we have other people who come and go throughout the entirety of it um, I love the way that these are shown throughout uh, the 12 years and, and the way it progresses through and as the film progresses um, I, th- I think the themes become more clear of what Linklater is going for where in the earlier scenes it feels a little gimmicky because we're just kind of like oh he aged here okay I got it Um, but as the film wears on uh, you know it becomes more defined and and that man that just lands so well with this idea of, of coming of age and growing into your adolescence and then becoming a young adult going to college finishing high school all those things um the movie definitely seems to to have more of an aim and more of a direction as we get into the later parts of it and i just think it works so well um ethan hawk is awesome in this patricia arquette is great and i think her character is super super complicated in my opinion at least um but she also, I don't think, is the most interesting character here. I love Ethan Hawke's character because he is probably not the greatest father at all. But at the same time, like he's also trying. And I think that this film really does a nice job of showing you both sides of the coin with him. And then with the two kids, Mason, obviously, we see the growth with him. Um, and Eller Coltrane, child actor, who's not really a child actor, like he was just kind of in this, and then you know, he's moving on. Uh, I, I think that his 
character definition and his also performance obviously improves throughout the film, at least for me. Um, and Sam, the sister, uh, is, is definitely kind of goes the other direction as she becomes less and less important as the film goes <laughs> on. But at the same time, um, I just think overall that this is this is such a interesting watch. Um, it, it is able to just create this really unique visual that um, would be almost impossible for anyone else to capture. And I mean, you could try to use different actors and you can try to use CGI and all that, but um, playing the <laughs> long game and doing this 12 year filming schedule um, and having it all pretty much, I mean, I'm sure things didn't work out and we just never saw it, but having to end up where it was is just so awesome um, and such an enjoyable mm. watch. And um, this is only my second time watching it because it is definitely a chore to sit through the entirety of it. But at the same time, um, this is so good and so fun to watch and has so many really human moments that are capturing, uh, at least for me. So that's my initial mm. thoughts. Pretty glowing. And I have a lot of other specific things, uh, specifically about the uh, the uh, male interests for Olivia. So uh, we'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. Um, but moving on, Dan, do you want to go next? Sure. Um, yeah, I uh, 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 well, first, it's kind of funny because I've been going through and listening to all the old um, film tank episodes that i've missed so i'm kind of i just started like at the beginning and um so the second episode the conversation which is a really good episode by the way you guys talk about boyhood which had just been up for some oscars so it just come out so i'm kind of curious to hear you know if you guys' thoughts have changed or, or evolved at all in that time because i mean you know it's been six years i want to say at least yes so six years I, Right. So I'm, I'm curious. And, um, anyway, but, um, I mean, for me, like, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty unreserved in my praise for this movie. Um, I mean, I think Linklater is one of our, one of America's greatest living filmmakers. And it's like, he's often, he's respected, but he's not often mentioned. You know what I mean? He's not like the first people, people always mention, but his first three movies, and I mean, I haven't seen his, his student film, but his first three films are like, if he had just done those and then retired, I would say he'd still be one of the greatest living American directors. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen Slacker, but did, that's yeah. his first. Can I say out of curiosity, just really quick, is that Slacker, Dazed, and Before Sunset? Uh, yeah, or before, before Sunrise. Uh, sun, sunrise. Yeah, okay, yeah. Exactly. I've seen all uh, three of those. Yeah, I would love to do an episode with you guys on Slacker because that is, uh, first of all, the fact that it's his debut, that's like one of the greatest debut films ever. I mean, that's up there, like, it's like, you know, like Wells of Citizen Kane or uh, Night of the Living Dead or, you know, the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple, you know, or um, Errol Morris's Gates of Heaven, like one of those, like, debut that's so good you're like wow i can't believe this is their first film you know I, and like swagger's just i'm sorry go ahead i was just really quickly gonna say it? that i actually watched swagger for the first time over a little bit over a decade ago and i like 
practically hated it. Um, oh, really? Not any like moral, like what the hell is this shit or whatever, but just <laughs> it just did not land or whatever. Having said that, I would definitely uh, watch it sometime soon and reappraise it. So yeah. Oh, we totally should because I I love it. Um, I think it's uh, just one of the most. Um, or it's just one. The more original films I think I've ever seen. I mean, the structure, the dialogue, um, everything about it just seemed very fresh. And um, anyway, so I'd love to do an episode of that. But the thing about Linklater, and you see it all over his movies, but especially like with uh, Slacker and the Before series and Waking Life and obviously Boyhood. And then like even to a lesser extent and stuff like the Newton Boys and, you know, Days and Confused, everybody wants some. And even like, like tape um there's this upset maybe not upset fascination with temporality and liminality i guess i mean like all movies are kind of about that because it's a time-based medium you know what i mean but like his stuff is really about it and it's not necessarily nostalgia it's just an interest in exploring how we find meaning i guess through time you know because we really do yeah, I would completely agree, and I would even spotlight the fact that, like, even a movie he did, like, Tape, I don't know if you've ever seen that, Dan. Um, yes, yes, yeah. I love Tape. So for, that's, a, that's a great example. But, like, what's weird about that movie is that's the opposite of a lot of his other projects, where it's, like, a movie in real time in just, you know, one right. night or whatever, and yet the entire theme is what we remember over time and how time erodes our relationships and, obviously, our memories yeah. and whatnot. Oh, totally, totally. And in fact, Suburbia, to an extent, is sort of like that, too, where uh, even though he didn't write that, that's actually Eric Bogosian wrote that. Um, but it's it's Represent. very much that idea. Rupert, I love Bogosian. I actually saw the play of Suburbia way back before it was a film. So really? just saying that. Anyway. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's awesome. Date yourself I, there, Dan. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> I actually own it, too. So I'm a pretty big fan already. So anyway, uh, but yeah, like Suburbia is a lot about that. And, and in a way, Days and Confused and everybody wants some sort of about that sort of in reverse where the characters have no idea what they're in store for in life. But we do. And we're like, OK, you know, so when you see the guys in Days and Confused, and they're like, well, you know, it's like every other decade really sucks. Like the 50s sucks and the 60s was awesome, but then the 70s sucks. So the 80s are going to be awesome. And it's like, oh man, you guys have no idea how much this is going to suck for you. <laughs> I mean, it's I'm not I'm laughing because it's so sad, you know. But anyway, uh, so there's a lot of uh, that idea of temporality um, to his work, like you said about tape being real time. And um, I mean, even the Newton Boys. There's a big plot point where I don't know if you guys have seen that, but there's a part where. Basically, they're brothers who are bank robbers, right, in the 20s, I want to say. And there's like a big plot point near the end where basically one of the brothers keeps reburying their treasure uh, while the other guys are in prison. And he finally forgets the last place he buried it. So it's like because he's just done it so many times. (laughs) So it's kind of a funny thing. So anyway, there's this sort of this temporality aspect to Linklater's stuff. And so watching Boyd, I had these two quotes I kept thinking of. And the first one's uh, Emily Dickinson. She says, you know, it will never come again is what makes life so sweet, which is very true. And it's kind of a famous quote. But the other one uh, is from this movie Shadow of the Vampire. Uh, it's from like 2000, which is like two years before Boyhood even began shooting. <laughs> but it's it's a really odd movie. Very cool. But anyway, the, there's a character in it who's uh, um, he's playing a real-life person, uh, F.W. Murnau, who was a silent film director, a very famous German expressionist. 
directing, shooting a movie. And at the end of it, he's kind of all through it. He keeps talking about how like cinema is going to change life forever. And, you know, it's going to transform everything uh, in a positive sense. And he has this quote at the end. He says, our very own painting on our very own cave wall. Time will no longer be a dark spot on our lungs. They will no longer be able to say you would had to have been there because the fact is we were <laughs> you know so it's like him it's like this idea that it's like film is going to save humanity and, and finally like put like a stopper on time almost and but the, the truth is of course i mean obviously that's not the case you know i mean i think you know i i think um i think film is probably well, audio and visual recording is probably the closest we've ever gotten to inventing a time machine uh, because I think it, it does show that passing of time in a much subtler way than even like, uh, like a novel and certainly, you know, stuff like um, photography or painting where it's, it's very much a single moment, if you will, usually. Um, I'd agree. But, uh, but it's, would... it's true, though. I mean, the really, yeah. Well, I was going to say that I think film in general, because I know photography obviously literally captures the moment, but I also feel like context is mm -hmm. uh, gone and whatever. So I think film is like the ultimate like amberfication of life at the time, even if it's a period piece, nice. even if it's whatever. It 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 means something that's so beyond obviously what its own narrative is. Right. No, that's that's a perfect word for it. You know, amortization in that sense. I mean, because it's like, I mean, the truth is, I mean, I don't know if you guys, time, the truth is time is the, is the main enemy of our lives. But it's also the thing that basically imbues our lives with meaning. So because we're temporary and we're perishable, you know, because it will never come again is what makes life so sweet. It it gives meaning to our lives. And I think boyhood is one of those few movies. Cause I mean, all movies basically are sort of about time, <laughs> you know, like I said, you know, but this one, it's like the main point almost is that it takes those really like, like oddly moving moments we've had that we can't like really adequately explain the meaning of to other people because you have to have experienced it personally like you know like a lot of times it's nothing really that big that's happened it's just, just like a, even a small change but you get that ache in your sides and your stomach and that's it's brought on by this feeling where you're like you realize that this environment or um ritual or tradition or moment of some kind or another that you kind of always assumed you'd be able to return to has has like slipped away it's gone now and you can't go back to that or that place sometimes literally like you know, i remember i talked to you guys about my you know the drive-in theater uh when we were doing the midnight run episode it's like you know when i was a kid i just assumed i would always be going back there and now it's like you know wow i don't have that anymore so you have that special kind of ache and that kind of melancholy and it's really really hard to explain it to other people because it's often really small and it's like it looks like an unimportant event so, like, other people are, like, they can only kind of on the surface go, oh, yeah, man, I get what you mean. But, like, this movie really, I feel like it really nails that. And that's one of the things that makes it so special to me. I mean, yeah, yeah, I like the idea of, you know, the 12-year project and everything and all that. And I, I like the story and I like the characters. But the the real purpose, the real reason I love the movie so much is because it feels like um, – it feels like time is like the main subject. You know what I mean? I don't want to say it's the character, but it's like the passage of time 
and the way that the little events in our lives that we probably won't remember later or that we might remember but nobody else will are actually really significant sometimes, even though at the time they don't seem that way. So, so that's kind of my initial thoughts, I guess. Right on. Um, I will go next. And, okay. uh, Dan, I just want to say that I, I think you're onto something in the sense that uh, I don't think anything outside of boyhood, except for one piece of media, has ever eloquently summed up that kind of ravaging of time, which is uh, Steve Miller Band once said, time keeps on slipping and slipping into the future. <laughs> so goddamn true. Yeah. Steve Miller is a poet and a prophet for our time. Okay, mute your mic now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. God damn it. I know. Fine, I'm totally going to do it now. Okay. <laughs> Boyhood, uh, more like boy good. Am I right, fellas? Um, this is, you know, I read my review that I wrote on Letterboxd from four or five years ago, and on a personal note, I will admit that it was one of the first times I had read something that I had written over five years ago that I actually didn't cringe at, so I think, at least in some ways, either my oh. com- my confidence is growing or my writing's at least starting to subside into something recognizably uh, agreeable with my own inner monologue, but um, I nice. mostly... Please. It's yeah. always a good feeling. It really is, and oh, I was, that was all I was just No, yeah, and I was pleasantly surprised that I genuinely and generally have about the same opinion of it as it when it came out, which is that I think this uh, is a great achievement, even if it's not a great film. Uh, I think, for the most part, I, I mean, I really like this movie. I guess I don't want to start it off saying, like, oh, I don't like this, here's why, or whatever. For the most part, I really like this. I think uh, Alex had mentioned the performances of everybody involved, and all four performances, uh, the the mother, father, and son, daughter, are actually great for completely different reasons, and in my opinion, Ethan Hawke is the standout um and uh, I think he's like got the greatest character arc in this movie, and part of that's based on his performance, which has so many shades of wonderful evolution that is so thrilling to kind of see change from year to year in a way that even like uh, Eller Coltrane's uh, just can't do because most of his is more physical based, which I'm not saying makes it a cheaper performance by any means because there's definitely an emotional catharsis to seeing, uh, you know, a boy literally grow up in front of your very own eyes. But I, <laughs> I finished this and this is like the fourth or fifth time I've watched it. And I got to admit, boy, do I think that the title could, if not just as well apply, if not more apply to the Ethan Hawke character, uh, the title of Boyhood, because I think he has, Ethan Hawke's father's character has such a clear story arc without ever being too demanding on uh, the character of Mason Jr. uh, as to threaten to overtake his own childhood. And I think that's where some complaints I have, which I'm guessing Alex at least either shares or recognizes based on some of his earlier comments uh, with regards to the Patricia Arquette's character, which is a super complex character, and I love it for that reason, but in my opinion, not always a successful character. And we'll get into that, obviously, when we open it all up. But in general, I think the movie's true standout uh, 
uh, I guess, facet, so to speak, is the editing, which is uh, credited to Sandra, I think, a deer or something like that. I'm just going to look that sounds up. Sounds right. Uh, Sandra sounds Adair. Right. Yeah. And Ooh, nice. I think that is the standout of this movie. I, I am still amazed five years later, four years later, whatever, um, at all of the transitions in this movie. Because every time he, you know, we, we, we drop in each year, but we're never ever given an actual blueprint of how long we'll stay in a year or what to look for to actually discern between the years that... What? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, man. Finish that thought. I, I did not mean to... No, no, I was going to say, discern between the year that we just passed to the year that we just entered. What were you going to say? Oh, I was... Uh, I absolutely love that there is no hard stop. Like, there's no titles. There's none of that shit. Like, yep. you have to, like, at some point, be like... Because there are times when it's like, you're unsure if you're in a different... At least at the start of a scene, you're like... Uh, oh yeah, this is a, a different year where like it's more noticeable if he has like a different haircut or he's he has earrings now mm-hmm. or he's clearly having to shave now or something like that. Like yeah. in some <laughs> of the some of the scenes, it's like it's you're not sure, and then someone else appears like oh okay, and I love that. Like it it feels authentic, and I feel like if there were titles or like year four or some shit like that, it would have been lame um so i i love that it's not that mm-hmm. it just is very organic and it flows pretty great together absolutely yeah, i would agree with you on that big time yeah i and one of the things i love is that i feel like they almost go out of their way to almost conceal um not necessarily like hide oh he's this year's old or whatever because there's enough contextual clues but they always try to conceal the actual cut that indicated the jump from year to year because almost every time he's never uh we always cut to a shot in which he's not in the frame at the very moment that the shot begins which is almost unusual in and of itself because obviously for the most part is from his perspective though i do have a few nitpicks that Mm. i feel like maybe the film should be completely from his perspective like when we see the scenes of uh Mm -hmm. random people talking where he's not present i almost feel like that's a cheat um for a movie like this not a cheat in that it spoils the movie but i almost wish they would have went a little further um but there are many moments where the passage of time happens within a cut and it's almost disorienting because of the fact that like we cut to him like putting his head down for a few seconds and we don't realize that we are now not only in a new moment but we are in a new era of his life and and i absolutely love the way that that was obviously depicted and edited and all that jazz um i think overall for the most part this is a winner i just think that um you know, I think Richard Linklater, with regards to this movie, um, was kind of out on a life raft by himself. Because when he made something like the Before Trilogy, he was able to collaborate with Ethan Hawke and uh, Joey Delpy. And um, 
actually asked them where he thought their characters would be. And I'm not, I haven't watched a behind the scenes documentary or anything like that. So I'm not trying to say that there was no collaboration here or anything like that. Cause I'm actually, I'm sure knowing him that there was, but this definitely felt like less of a, um, sure. concerted effort to try to figure out an arc and more of a, Oh, it's one year later. Uh, what's different this year? You know, and, and it was a year-by-year basis. And I don't blame him for that because I do think it would have been much harder to try to blueprint an entire narrative that does not yet exist. But I also feel like that is where some of the shortcomings uh, do come from. I Unfortunately, I think the weakest scene in this movie for me is the waiter in the restaurant, which I feel like is so against what Linklater usually does that it almost makes me uncomfortable because he's like doing a very quick blindside uh, uh, recreation for a little moment uh, where we meet, um, you know, toward the end of the film, we meet the guy who is laying the septic line on uh, Patricia Arquette's house, mm-hmm. and he's now become a waiter. And, like, I'm obviously all for any kind of positive, you know, story arc like that, but it just felt, A, it felt super ham-fisted because he has to go out of his way to basically, you know, thank the lead character who is also tied up into an extremely unappreciated storyline that it felt like a cop-out that her, even though they depicted the children as being pretty normal children, that she would get that validation from someone that's not even close to her uh, and, and not from her children. But also, we had just seen that character in the last hour. Like, that is not as... Like, for, for a movie that has this 12-year gimmick, that just felt like something he realized he could do when there was about three years left. And he was like, oh, let's do that. Because I'll tell you what, even though there's no, like, crazy whatever moment attached to it, I get more emotional when Mason sees uh, um, Mason Sr.'s bandmate at the concert for the first time since we've seen them at uh, when they had their first or second whatever day out with their father. And there's no real emotional connection between oh, the two of them. Uh, yeah, but right. that that's a great moment because it really just kind of sticks in your throat of like, gee, this is so temporary uh, and it's going by so fast. So <laughs> I, I like the I like the uh, the mother and the daughter at the graduation party who they had lived with or stayed with many years prior. Yes, yes. Um, that's that's a great callback and this this has nothing to do with that but um just for whatever reason i love the friend hitting on um mason (laughs) at the graduation party and uh ending that scene by asking him if he has something to drive him to college she's just concerned Um, that is yeah yeah that is yeah i laughed out loud because i you know, and it's funny because she's been in several of the sequences prior, hasn't she? I mean, because remember he, he, when he walks in late uh, and it's his birthday because it's after midnight? I think she was there yeah, then, she was, too. that was, I think, her so first it's like, appearance. Here's, yeah. She's not like just somebody they just... Right, but it's no, like... No, she was waiting until he turned in. I mean, this is somebody who... Yeah, which... I, I respect her for that, but damn, <laughs> it was funny. I, I had forgotten that completely. And so watching that again a couple weeks, yeah, I laughed out loud. I was like, oh, man, that's so good. Such a beautiful little there, cut there, at the there's end. Some, <laughs> there's some super, I mean, Linklater's writing is usually fantastic, but there are some just 
gems in this movie. Um, another later scene when he's uh, it was right before he has that weird blow up scene with Sheena um, sitting on the bench, which is, I mean, it was a little choreographed. I thought so it was one of my least favorite scenes. But before that, he's talking with one of the teachers or people oh, yeah. from school or whatever, and talking to him about going to college and. Just the walk-off line after having this like pretty solid talk about moving forward in life. She's like, "Don't forget to floss." I don't know. That was great. <laughs> that <laughs> that does that, that's hilarious. The woman who plays uh, that person yeah. is such a like almost I don't know uncanny representation of the adult figures that populate your education uh, atmosphere. That, that, that is just it's so spot on. It's scary. Totally. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, those are, yeah, you're totally right. <laughs> those are my general thoughts in that I think I really like this movie. And I, I told Alex earlier in a text when I was gearing up to record this, that I will never love this movie on, on the merits of it being a film, you know, whatever, but I will never get tired of it because it, the fact that it actually works is kind of a miracle in and of itself. And not only does it work, but obviously, at least in my opinion, it does have moments where it reaches beyond just commonplace and, you know, transcend. I just don't think it transcends uh, from start to finish, uh, which is a shame because of the gimmick, and I feel like that's the ultimate uh, push and pull here, is the uh, the real-life story slightly overshadows the movie itself. So, those are my opening thoughts. Hmm. So... First things first, uh, something that I'd like to talk about that I think is, we, I think me and you both, Nick, mentioned Patricia Arquette's character of Olivia, and I, I don't think that she's giving a bad performance at all. I think she's good, but I think that character is very, just, like her, ah, her character is, is so tough for me to, to have a, like, a good feeling on, because, ah, like, there's just so many things I like have like feelings about her character as a mother, as a single mother, like who is like getting education and getting a job and raising new children, clearly not getting any assistance from uh, their father in any way. He couldn't even come up with a $20 bill to like, pay for the plastic cups at the graduation party. Like, that was so great because it had been a <laughs> yes. long time before we had seen him be a shade of his older self. Like, I think it's a natural progression for him, but it was a great moment to remind you that, um, you know, he's not, you know, he was, he is and was the man that she chose not to be with for a good reason. <laughs> and almost yeah, definitely. Like immediately after that uh, in the scene where you're talking about the uh, the go to see the band and you see uh, uh, his friend who's the uh, the singer guitar player whatever from the band uh in the next scene after the graduation party <laughs> we see him almost and I'm, he's not like blaming her but he's saying man if she just would have held on a little bit hmm. this is what i became <laughs> it's like ah See, the, the thing about that is that is actually, in my opinion, and I guess I don't want to sound sexist, but mm. I, I, I say that I feel like if I say this, there's no other way to look at it. But I actually think he's 50% right when he says that, which is that, yeah. you know, there but, is something to the idea. How long was he supposed to wait oh. for him? And, and was he ever going to become that? Absolutely agreed. Here, 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 well, it, here, yeah. 
I'm sorry. Oh, God, sorry. Well, I, I was just going to say really fast. Also, the other, the other, um, uh, one of the other facets to that is that it could be that he wouldn't have changed had he stayed with her. He sure. may have had to have that break so, and that that moment of oh shit, I need to do something. I need to change my life. So, so it's it is it's hard to game out the scenario, you know. And this is such mm. a hard thing to say because the last thing I want to do is blame a woman for anything because, and especially in, uh, this is so hard because it is, I feel like this film makes you have to think about it, at least for me. Like, okay, is she attracted to people who destroy themselves or are people who destroy themselves attracted to her? And I feel like it's really hard to answer that question especially because we don't focus on her character. We just see her relationships from a far away viewpoint. And yet she just continuously uh, finds herself in these horrible relationships that she has to escape from. Um, and the way it's portrayed in this film is, is really hard to have a real opinion on it, at least for me, because watching it, I'm like trying not to have a negative opinion of her because she obviously is a woman who is doing her best and she is trying to be um, a great mother to her children. But I think she's a person who enables <laughs> alcoholics to operate. So, ah, like I will say like when her 15 year old son comes home and says he's been drinking and smoking pot, she's not that mad about it. And it's, ah, I don't know. So, I don't know. There's just some about it that it's just it's just so hard because it's just there's not enough to grasp onto, but there's just enough there where I feel like I form an opinion of her that I don't think is fair, and yet at the same time I don't know how to have a different opinion. Ah. The other thing about that, because I I completely mm. agree in that it is so thorny because we don't get to see her much, is that the the two husbands that she takes during the course of the film, you know, post uh, Mason Senior, uh, are alcoholics for completely different reasons. That it genuinely feels like the world is out to get her, you know, because uh, the first one she marries is first of all a lecherous, middle-aged, you know, professor who takes advantage of her students. So, like, that's one whole mm, uh, mm -hmm. dynamic that is just, like, problematic in and of itself. Not problematic for it being depicted, just a bad situation and whatnot. But then her second husband is technically at the start, just like her first in a lot of ways, besides the uh, foundationally immoral way it started, is a is a decent person, you know, is a soldier returning, you know, whatever. But then because his alcoholism, I believe, is tied into PTSD and I would assume the treatment of veterans and whatever. And I know I'm reaching here, but I genuinely think the film is trying no, to, no, no, to no, use shorthand to try to convey that. And that is like two completely separate issues. Uh, so it, it's weird to say that like what Alex, what you pointed out, like that she's only attracted to a certain type of guy when Link later goes out of his way to differentiate them so much that it almost becomes like the world's just like worse coincidence. That that's what strains the weird thorniness and credibility of the totality of her arc for me. And I will say this. About well, I, I, def I, I definitely, I definitely, I, 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 I
But I'm so say, sorry. I, 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 just, I just wanted to really... No, 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 it's all right. I just wanted to really quickly say I definitely think the PTSD is is the reason for the drinking because he does seem like a pretty genuinely good person. And so, I, I mean, I think that was definitely signaled in the film several times. I mean, I, I, I think that is exactly what we're meant to understand. So I just wanted to say that. So I will say, I don't know if she ever marries him. Uh, I think it's kind of, they never really say for sure. At least I don't remember if they, them saying for sure. I feel like she just lives with him and the, she's not married to him, but I don't know that. The only line that suggests it is when the moment we are informed that he is out of the picture, she says to Mason and the audience, uh, I got rid of a few husbands. Okay. So I'm okay. not saying it means she for sure did. She might be talking about the other one, uh, the other, the first two, but it makes us seem like that that was a thing. It's just mm-hmm. it, they were downplaying his marriage in a way that they weren't, you know, the first go around with the other dude. So I like because this, the, that husband, which if he's, he's the third husband, then I actually really liked, not because I liked him because he was a good person. But I, I like the character because that guy's only in the movie for probably about six minutes. But mm. um, I I love that first scene because on the outset, if you're just going for low-hanging fruit, his line of saying, what time is it, Mason? Like, he's like just setting up the audience for this guy's an asshole. And mm-hmm. at the same time, he then says, oh, it's your 15th birthday. And it's like, oh... Like, we've just done a total 180 on this because <laughs> this guy is not necessarily an asshole. And he's, mm-hmm. you know, just been introduced to us. And he seems like a really pretty solid person. And mm-hmm. then you establish him as this potential positive figure. And then we have that discussion on the porch, which is, oh, man, that scene. There's so much happening there in a three-minute conversation between him and Mason that is so boilerplate. But at the same time, like because of the couple previous scenes we've seen with him, like it, it feels like there is an admission there of his relationship with his actual father that is coming to a head that he clearly is not able to actually discuss. He walks off when there's even a mention of his actual father. Um, and then we have a little bit of a hand tip from Linklater has, huh, he turns around and it shows that he's a member of the department of corrections. And I, I feel like that is just a walk off character establish a moment just to say, Nope, this guy is actually an asshole. And it's just like, Holy shit. That's, um, that's something like just, there's there's so much happening with that character in a, in a guy who has five to six minutes of screen time to subvert your expectations earlier and then do a 180 on that after already doing the 180 you know ten minutes earlier and then he's gone. I mean that's what this movie does too. It just plays with time in that way and plays with memory like you were speaking of earlier, Dan. And it's um it's special for me. 
I will say what you just said about the the corrections officer outfit. I think that moment is yes. twofold in that it is both that like it's shorthand for why he is the way he is, which also means that it's almost shorthand for an excuse as to the fact that he may uh, quote unquote be a victim, so to speak, of obviously you know veteran reparations and the way we uh, don't really. L- leave a path forward for them and and whatnot so i'm with you alex and that is such an easy way out that it's just kind of unfortunate and on the other hand i also don't know what else this film would be able to do in this short amount of time with it so i i will say his compact storyline rings a lot more true compared to the other storyline before that got a lot more screen time because that guy who plays that character uh the first husband is just not great, in my opinion. Definitely the <laughs> the the acting weak link, and that's in a movie with Samantha Linklater. No offense, Samantha, if you're listening, you're a wonderful person, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Nor did you even really sign up to do this shit. <laughs> this was your father <laughs> forcing you. But that guy signed up for this shit. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. for him to scream, I hate squash! Um, I, that That's just, uh, it's something. And I don't want to belittle storylines oh. depicting parental, you know, step-parental abuse and alcoholism, because I actually felt it rang true. I just thought he was so weirdly awkward in the role. I do love, too, that we never uh, get any resolution mm-hmm. with their uh, stepbrother and sister. Like, yeah. they could have mm-hmm. become yep. just yep. totally fucked up, and there's no... Even like small sign of oh yeah their mother came and got them and now they live with her like just done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's the um, again like you were saying the the ephemerality of it like uh, it, that's kind of one of the things I like so much. I mean it's like the cliche about well you never know the last time, when it's going to be the last time you see somebody, but it's like they literally don't know. I mean they're like okay we're walking out the door and it's like we literally never see those kids again and i mean granted samantha does say uh hey you know what's going to happen to them so there is concern for them but at the same time it's a cruel fact that there's really not much that the mom can do that olivia can do i should say you know i mean so it is there is that ephemeral quality which i really love about this movie um do you guys mind if i I talk a bit about that Uh, oh yeah or or, are you am i in the middle of what you were saying Alex? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, it's like that's one of the things I think that makes this movie so um, uh, special, I guess. And 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 I think honestly, one of the things that makes it so brave is because it captures the melancholy feeling. But the brave part is it has the guts to do it without really there being many big dramatic beats, like to the point where it's almost like it seems like he went through and edited out those which i I don't mean that as a criticism i think that's actually really interesting because i don't don't think there's any reason to really highlight melodrama in a movie like this because the passage of time in itself is inherently poignant already there's no reason to add more drama because just watching this for three hours (laughs) in itself makes that it has inherent poignancy to it it's imbued in it you know so i really liked that and and actually, that's one of the cool things about long movies in general. Because like if they're if they're paced well, and like like if they like if they earn their running time, you know they're not like just you know whatever. But uh, long films, 
for me at least, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I often get this feeling that you get, I get a sense of meaning from them just because of the gradual accumulation of details, you know, which is essentially how we get, that's how we glean meaning in our own lives. I mean, it's, it's, there's not usually a lot of big single events. I mean, yeah, we, there's some, but for the most part, it's things we kind of accumulate over time that we make sense of later. And I think this movie is really, really good at that. Um, and, and then one of the other things I actually really like about longer movies is that I think, I, I, again, I don't know if you guys feel this way, but I get, I feel often more attached to the characters because I've spent so much time with them. You know what I mean? So it's like, even if I don't much care for some of the characters, I do feel a weird sort of closeness or attachment because I've spent like, you know, four or five hours or whatever. I mean, I think it's true TV shows too. You know what I mean? I'd agree with that. In fact, I would even say that, you know, part of the strength that it, if it's a good movie, but if it's a good movie and a long one, that right. you you really get a sense of the way the universe works um, uh, because of the way it's populated mm-hmm. and the way the time moves through it. However, I actually think that is a weakness of this movie that I did mention to Alex as well uh, over text that I'm glad you just brought up, Dan, because I'm going to bring it up now, mm-hmm. that... This movie is almost three hours long, and that's not a bad thing inherently. However, it's almost three hours long, and Mason is in high school by the halfway point. And I can understand that from a logistical level of, like, he's probably going to be more, uh, you know, adept at delivering lines and whatnot the older he is. However, knowing Linklater and knowing what he can do, it still bums me out that we forego a little more time in the adolescent years because those are just as formative. Even if we can't articulate when we're that young um, why these moments mean what they mean to us or, you know, whatever, it's still, I mean, I think the Tree of Life is an excellent example of how you can portray childhood in both a way that's at a disconnect but Mm -hmm. also at a, wow, I've been there, this is uncomfortable to watch, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling. Oh, yeah. Um, But I feel like Linklater couldn't wait until he was old enough to be in a Linklater film. And that's kind of the vibe I get. (laughs) So that that could be. Go ahead. We're just just walking all over each other. This is great. Walking on sunshine. (laughs) It's better when we're all in the studio and we can see each other. I mean, I feel like it's just a lot more cohesive than. But anyway. Oh, well. Uh, I will yeah. say this. So, um, I told this to Nick earlier, and I mean, this is not a like super like great take, but at the same time, whatever. Like, I feel like I think the halfway point of this movie, when we do get into the older years of Mason, is just better than the the earlier scene. I don't know if that means because this is uh, where they're able to have a more defined what this movie is going to be because. Even though I'm sure they had a rough draft, I feel like probably going into this, they knew that this was going to be totally different where they ended than when they started. So I feel like the scenes after he probably reaches like high school age um, are so much more impactful in terms of a film portrayal. And for me, um, I was so much more engaged in those scenes. And the earlier scenes, I think the gimmick kept me really intrigued in it where the film kept me around in the second half. So 
even though I don't necessarily disagree sure. with what you're saying, Nick, I feel like in terms of an actual film perspective, uh, um, I appreciated that we spent more time with his later years because I think that it had quite a bit more to offer. Mm. You know, um, just really quickly on that there, uh, the uh, essay that uh, Jonathan Latham wrote for the Criterion version of Boyhood, which is really good, by the way, and Jonathan Latham's a fantastic novelist, so just in, in itself, he's a great writer. But he talks about how in that first hour or so, you know, the kid, is, you know, Mason Jr. is very much a um, uh, he's an observer. And it's true. I thought a lot about it actually after I read that and after I saw the movie again, because it was like, yeah, it's true. As a kid, you don't have much agency. You're basically, you know, it's kind of like, all right, well, you're going here now. Now you're going over there. Okay. Now you're going to soccer practice. Now you're going to church or whatever. And it's like, you know, you don't, you can't drive. You can't really go very far you don't have money, you know, you know, and and so it was interesting watching him as almost entirely a passive character for that first hour. I mean, which is, I think, probably pretty accurate. Now, I mean, that said, Nick may have a point that they could, Linklater could have made it more interesting, like in Tree of Life, because those characters are are very passive, too, because of the same age. But there's definitely a lot more... um, you feel a lot more of their inner life, definitely. I mean, the way that Malik, you know, directs that film. But still, I thought it was interesting to to. It reminded me again of how little power and agency I had as a kid <laughs> up to a certain point, basically. So I just want to add that. Yeah, I. I mean, what I loved about those early sequences, and I also agree with Alex when I, even though I say that as a point of contention, that I kind of wish it was slightly more even, only because I actually think Linklater is capable of delivering that. Um, I, I also would say that I think the best scenes in the movie are the second half, so it's not so much that I'm like, oh, now we're in here or anything like that. I'm just like, you know, I feel like it's unfortunate that the 12-year gimmick probably had a real-life effect, too, which is that Linklater got more and more comfortable as a writer and director over the years, um, and obviously I think that's kind of a product of that. Mm. Um, mm, that's the, an interesting point. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's, you know, obviously a... Um, I, He was certainly already arrived, because I agree with Dan that even if I didn't quite like Slacker that much, uh, but his arrival into the scene was a force to be reckoned with, and he had something to offer that nobody else did at that time and still does. Um, But he still had to craft it. This didn't start filming until, what, like eight years after the release of days and confused like he was well established before they even started this project yes yeah no i mean he was in oh, it yeah, yeah, as far as like he had done it he had gone around the block a few times um but certainly it was the first time he'd ever done this and first time anybody's ever really done this so obviously you know growing pains and all that um i do want to mention because we i didn't mention it earlier when we had the conversation and then i promised we can get away from the subject but on the subject of olivia Here's my final, not judgment, but impression of the character um, that slightly leaves a weird taste in my mouth. Um, I think throughout the entire movie, well, first of all, I think Patricia Arquette gives an unimpeachable performance. There's nothing wrong with what she is doing. If if there is anything that sticks with me, it's simply Mm. from a uh, script point of view, so to speak. Um, but here's the thing throughout the entire movie 
I am completely okay with her character. I think she uh, walks that line of being this uh, kind of a, both a victim and a survivor in in so many ways, and the duality of that. And I don't. I hesitate to even use the word victim because I don't want to paint her out to be someone who, you know, is like deserves our pity or anything like that. But obviously, she's put into situations that. Um, are not great and are at times beyond her control and at definitely at times beyond um, what any human being deserves. You know, I mean, we see the scene where Mason uh, discovers her uh, with his stepbrother mm-hmm. um, in the garage and whatnot. Like, that's mm-hmm. horrifying. Sure. And, and I actually love that that's how Rich, uh, Richard Linklater depicts that. He doesn't depict the event, he depicts the fallout from it. And I think that's a extremely empathetic way to do it while both still getting that mm. kind of, uh, n- not bad, but like entertainment factor of it like we're we're, we're on the edge of our seat mm-hmm. because it's not something we expected but also we are just kind of utterly uh just saddened by the image and whatnot but here's here's the, the the thing that i walk away from this movie where i get a little bit uh whatever you call it uh, I, I don't know if i want to say like disappointed but where i just don't think it's stuck is that the final scene she has in this movie is her shitting on her son. Like, I know she is technically upset with her own choices and the way of the world and whatnot, and all of that is completely valid. But I don't think I've seen a more selfish act in the entire movie than Mason getting ready to go to college and her making that moment all about herself to the point where she doesn't even end it on a good note. I mean, it's one thing for her to have an emotional reaction. I mean, that's human. And so it's like, I understand the emotions behind it, but I question the point of making that be our exit point from, you know, his uh, childhood. And I, it's just still, this is the fourth time I've watched this movie. And it's like, it's one of those monologues where it's like, I understand this beat for beat. Like this makes perfect sense from a human standpoint or whatever. But you just basically, and I say this you as in like the script, you just basically left me with the fact that in my opinion, she's now a shitty mother because at the end of the day, her kids grew up to be good people and it's not like Mason was like teasing her or anything like that on his last day or whatever and she still is so distraught by that that she it it just seemed like she hates her kids and I think that's a very realistic thing that can happen unfortunately but boy did I feel like it was out of place in this movie I'll I'll be honest Uh, my my, my, oh go on my Oh yeah, I'll be honest with my reading of, of that particular scene. Um, I feel like that that was too um, specific to not be something that was taken from someone's personal experience, I, whether it be Linklater himself <laughs> or Patricia Arquette. I like, completely I feel like, agree mm-hmm. in that yeah. I recognize the humanity in it. I just question yeah. the the placement in it in the narrative as to like, do you is this really the definitive statement you want to make on her as a mother? I don't think it is, but I think it's um, at least for somebody, whether it's Linklater or Patricia Arquette or someone else, whoever um, designed that exact exit point of that scene um 
that's like I feel like this film for me is shooting so far for going for real life that 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 for me that that's at its own detriment at times and that's I feel like one of the parts of the film that that does fall short because it it left me feeling very unsatisfied because it ends at such a weird spot especially for her character who's had this very uneven arc throughout the entirety of the film um and yet i feel that man that's um that's probably how that goes for a lot of people because um Mm -hmm. she hasn't planned for this moment and now it's here and she almost just Mm -hmm. enters a midlife crisis uh, as her son is huh, leaving the nest, so not great. But um, <laughs> right, there, there there were a series of not great moments involving her throughout the entirety of the film. So uh, I guess for me that that just felt like um, more of her character and and of her character's design than, than anything. But uh, I'm w- I'm with you, Nick. Like it's 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 a very it's a very weird place to, to just kind of have it. And it's like a, it's almost like a hard stop. Like it doesn't feel like a complete mm. scene. Like it just ends. It it's, cuts it's from her doing that to the family hero of the year song. I mean, it's like, wait, what? <laughs> we just witnessed the literal psychological breakthrough of one woman's, you know, journey of, self-discovery or self-realization whatever and we're cutting to ah, ain't boyhood great like it's just what I it just the scene itself yeah. is masterfully acted the emotions behind it I completely understand uh, the placement of it is just what drives me bonkers and I'm totally a person who usually loves like dark things, unsatisfying thing, you know, whatever. But even I watch it and I'm just like, wow, are you like a terrible person? Like, I don't know. I can't get over it. I don't know why. Dan, what do you think about that scene? <laughs> I, 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 have, I have a couple things. One is um, I don't think it's totally out of character because if you remember in the very first you know, episode, year one, if you will, she does say, you know, I was a daughter and then I was a mother and I can't do anything I want to do, which is, I think, a very, again, I think, I think Nick, you're you're not taking issue with the realism of it. I mean, no. you think it's totally. I don't realistic. think it's you're just out of not character. Sure how you feel about the character? I think it's itself. out of narrative. Yeah, like like is, this is boyhood, not womanhood. Oh. <laughs> it's just such a oh, weird okay. weight to bear at such an important. And I get that life is messy, but it also feels weirdly sure. and maybe accidentally sexist. I don't know. I I have a lot of thoughts, but I don't know what they are. So uh, anyway. Well, I, I hear you. I mean, I definitely disagree with both of you very strongly on this. Um, not because I, I agree with you. It's very unsettling. I think it is. I, you're totally right. But I think well, a couple things. One is I think it's not. Um, well, see, it's funny. I, I, you know, I, I don't I don't mean to pull the, uh, you know, realism card here or whatever or the my life. But, you know, I know. But, um, you know, no, being with. Uh, a woman <laughs> in my no wait that's Beals never mind no, uh, but anyway uh, oh Billy Joel right it's my life blah 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 got it got it anyway um but like uh, I've been going with this gal you don't know you Heidi, mean you know, um, and uh, um, don't you mean Bon Jovi 
me? Bon Jovi? Oh, no. it's my no, him. No, wait. No, yeah, no. he means... We no, he, no. no, he meant Bon no, Jovi. No, no, no. I don't care what they say anymore. I was thinking oh, the My Life, Billy Joel song. I didn't realize that there were two right. famous songs with My Life in the title, but now I will know better. Only, only two. Nope. I told no more than. Two. I told you, Alex, when we watched The Hangover Part Two for some godforsaken reason the other day, um, that I was a huge Billy Joel fan. So I'm only proving that now. His, that uh, Allentown moment in Hangover Two is the best part. Yeah, when the, he's like, uh, "We're living here in Allentown." You know, I love that whole part. But anyway, going back to it, speaking of somebody who I've been, you know, Heidi and I, we've been together about twelve years, and I've known her. I've known her kids since they were, I think, sixteen and fourteen, so they were a little older. But I have to admit, um, a lot of the emotions. Well, maybe not just the emotions, but the way she expresses it to her son in the film, I think sometimes when you're a single mom or a single dad, um, you have a tendency to sometimes say things to your kids that, like, you would rather be saying to an adult, but there's literally no other adults around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes you, you kind of do this thing and you're like, and, and, and it's possible she is going to regret it later i think she probably will she'll probably go oh geez i probably shouldn't have said it to him when he was leaving for school but the emotions obviously overwhelmed her but i think the other thing the thing i, I guess i really disagree with you guys on is that i don't think she's saying that she hates her kids or anything like that i think she is very angry with herself and it's like like there's that part where she's like well what are we going to think about we're gonna think about that time without your dyslexic or the time i taught you to ride a bike and again in the jonathan latham's essay he talks about all the points she mentions in that scene we don't see any of those in the movie like this movie is all about the other stuff the, the stuff that's unimportant but i think she's angry with herself because it's like there's this feeling like a lot of what has happened has happened without her being present you know what i mean and i think or even without like her she's, consent she's unsettled by that Oh, very much so. Yeah. And I think, you know, in a way, and I, and I say this because I know you and I, Nick, are big fans of the movie Kicking and Screaming, and I know you're a big fan <laughs> of this line in particular, but it's like, it's there's a line Kicking and Screaming where he's like, you know, this is one of those things where I realized what could potentially be a bad summer Sorry, could turn yeah. into a bad life. And that, mm-hmm. what is it, summer? Uh, yeah. What does he say? No, that uh, was it, yeah. Some, yeah, but it's it's basically that's what she's realized and that's like a very real possibility for people and that's a that's a very scary very deeply unsettling uh thing now that said i don't know why they did cut to that song and him on the open road and everything (laughs) i mean maybe it was just like all right we had to cut somewhere but yeah so i did but i did want to say i i think uh no that's right i just wanted to say that i think um oftentimes there's a thing where it's like kids have to grow up faster when than they should when they have only like a single parent, especially if, if maybe if if they're already dealing with, you know, like step parents who are abusive or whatever, like or, or you know, all that. So I think in a way she's uh, in a way over I don't know what the word is over relying or she's gotten used to speaking to him as an adult when maybe he's not quite there yet. And I think that's why there's, and it's, it's, it's a pretty a terrifying really realization good for point. anybody. 
it's a lot. I mean, it's a lot to put on him. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's not probably, it's not good. It's probably not ideal, but I, I do understand. And I don't think it has to do with him so much as her kind of rebuking herself. So anyway, I just want, I want to add that. So, yeah. And I do have some other right thoughts on, too about other things. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, well, I'm actually, sure I have, have- I, I'm sure you have like four more pages of stuff to talk about. I have I have binders full of notes. No, uh, well, I, I actually have binders full of women. And I, I don't know. No, I'm kidding. So, so I, I, real quick, I have a, I have a thought. Binders full of women, baby. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. What's up, Alex? Yeah. So, <laughs> um, I love the final scene of this movie, but I'm also conflicted on it because I don't. I don't know how to feel about the final scene because I feel like the final scene of this movie is such a weird, like <laughs> male fantasy in a way um, of just all of these College wonderful man. things happening. Yeah. Like yeah, <laughs> it's, it's such a like good feeling for me of like, holy shit, this is this guy's best day of his life. And it's his first day of college. <laughs> like, this is awesome. Yeah, I... But at the same time, I'm like, wait a minute now. <laughs> He shows up to college. He meets his roommate for the first time, who seems like completely someone who he'll be able to get along with because of you know that algorithm that they sent him. Um, <laughs> yeah, he switches uh, lanes yes, from being yes. super against technology to can you believe a computer just like matches everybody? <laughs> I know, which is no. so funny and so like people at that age. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, sorry. For go sure. ahead. No, no. So. Um, I will just say, and again, I love the final scene, especially that final conversation with him and the girl. But at the same time, uh, in the span of like 10 seconds, we have two girls coming in the room, one of which uh, is going to obviously be the girl that he's hanging out with for the rest of the day. Uh, (laughs) We have the other one who's just like, oh, by the way, here's some drugs for you to take. Let's go for a hike and you can shoot some photos. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. This is bullshit. Come on, Linklater. Wait, wait, like, you, wait you, you guys are saying this wasn't your college experience? <laughs> this didn't happen to you yeah. on the first day of college? Well, I lived at home, I mean, so that would have been incestuous. Me, I, mean, I don't know. What's that it? was just such a weird, it was such a weird, like, that's the thing. I love it. Like, it's closure for a film. And it's because it's not even just the full scene. Like, I think the full scene is good, too. But that last conversation is actually pretty fucking fantastic, especially in the setting it's in. But at the same time, like, OK, buddy, like, come on, we're 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 fantasizing here quite a bit of how this would go. To be fair, um, he is on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually you're on drugs. Everything's better, man. <laughs> I will say to to Sorry. Alex to your point that I pretty much agree, and yet I actually think that's what makes the scene work for me as a final sense of uh, kind of almost cathartic, you know, endpoint. Because when I watch that, I feel like the greatest thing about that is for the first time in his life, and especially as depicted, feel uh, things feel too good to be true, and I think there is some uh, merit to that feeling when you are. Uh, an incoming freshman and you are in a whole new world and the sad part is that that is just as temporary Mm -hmm. as what you just left and unfortunately will not uh be any more uh you know uh 
meaningful or less meaningful you know it's it's, it's gonna be the same sure. shit but i feel like it's the only time when you feel like in your life that you get that hard reset that you know you wish for so desperately and it, it's, yeah, it's so I, weird i would agree it's with such that a, it, it's such a happy i'm i'm just talking over you dan are we like I don't know if like my audio is coming in like three seconds after I'm saying it to you because I, I don't know. Uh, just, uh, it's it's possible there might be a two second time delay. I'm doing that in just okay. case I need to blur bleep any swear words, you know. So, <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh boy. <laughs> no, I, I think it's uh, actually, like such a weirdly like happy ending like i feel great after the end of, of, of the film even though we've seen so many different emotions throughout the two hour and 45 minute runtime but um i love that ending scene i think it's great and it's 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 still yeah. just a little yeah, <laughs> i i honestly i love that ending too and in a lot of ways it's probably the closest he ever gets to that feeling of being six years old and looking up at the sky in the first shot you know it's like that's the probably the closest in the movie he ever gets to that peaceful feeling again yeah and it's kind of funny because the the, the beginning you know it's it's yellow by coldplay not my favorite song okay fine but at the end it's deep blue by garcade fire which i love that song and so it's kind of a funny little bookend there where he's you know he's staring kind of up at the sky a little in both of them and he's visiting the place he went camping with his dad earlier. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of like a lot of interesting stuff, but it, it doesn't hit you over the head with it. But there's a lot of interesting little bits of closure there, which is really nice. Yeah. Um, really quick. Should we talk before we obviously go to final raids and all that, but about Ethan Hawke's mm-hmm. character? Cause I know we talked about him a little bit, but yeah, that, man. that's the yes. major. Yes. Yeah. And I, uh, I would love to do that. And I also have a very controversial take oh on something in the movie too well, so, right, well yes well it, if 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 um if we can because now i'm at the edge of my seat can we go with <laughs> controversial take yeah first? and then we will definitely uh end okay. on discussing ethan hawk before going to final ready what do we got <laughs> okay cool uh well i have a couple controversial opinions but <laughs> the main one is uh, <laughs> actually well first man. first of all i actually i know I'm t- it's terrible so yeah i know i'm like i'm upselling it now i'm like well actually there's several things no um yes. honestly i got my I foot in really the door like, so now here we are yeah so now no one's here's what ever, i think about this well, race all, <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh well, okay, really fast, I will say this, though, because I, I think this is going to be controversial. Too. Well, not controversial, but I don't think you guys will agree. But I do think, actually, the guy who plays Bill, the stepfather, is awesome. Marco Perella. I've never seen him anything else. I think he's just a local Austin actor. No, I, I honestly thought that shit was pitch perfect. Like, he's got that everything is cool, man. But really, I'm uptight as fuck, and at any second, I'm going to fucking snap. I'm a total addict. I mean, it's just He nailed that addict thing and that just self-aggrandizing scene thing that slow gradual yeah i don't know it's hard to explain uh i, I you know and, wait really quick are you talking about the, the first husband about, or the second yeah, yeah. oh he's talking the about the first. one you hated Nick. oh never mind i thought you meant oh, yeah. the second one no okay continue oh, no i actually <laughs> I, I think i think that guy does a great job too but this guy for some reason i actually like went out of my way to write this all down i'm like man this guy's really good i forgot how good he is because he's like i mean and, like that whole scene at the table like is 20 minutes ago oh it's great. i know that's why i, I wasn't getting to even mention it but i'm like i'm like well nick said this and i'm like well, i feel like i, I just should say the you know feel about think. him the way but, he feels about squash <laughs> i 
what? What? Honestly, that line, though, where he's at the table and he's like, you don't like me, Mason, do you? Well, that's okay. I don't like me either. Like, that that fucking stabs me in the gut. Because, like, again, I, I, I think we've all known probably some people who are addicts of some form or another. And, God, that just fucking summarizes it so beautifully. I'm with I you so, on that you, line and that dynamic and all that, whatever. But I feel like it's similar to, like, the Patricia Arquette thing, which is that this is not sure. the movie to explore that. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's, and that's fair. I, I, I mean, they, about, they, about Bill, about Bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I told yes. this to Nick earlier today, as we are just recounting our text conversation earlier today on the podcast. That's, <laughs> I that's know. Great I feel like I was. I feel like I was totally cut out of this. We're man. reading the transcript. Like, like, <laughs> talking with. <them. laughs> it only it only started, Dan, because I literally texted Alex saying, "I hate squash." <laughs> right. I, oh my god. So, so when Bill sends in. Uh, uh, the children to go cash his check in the liquor store. That's pretty close to rock bottom. Um, oh yeah, and, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the same liquor store clerk. It's uh, that guy. Yes, from Days and Confused. And is is he in Everybody Wants Some? Also, I feel like he's he's I made the rounds. Wouldn't be surprised. Films. Yeah, but no, he probably I mean, is. He, he has no line like "Make sure you eat a green thing" or anything like that. But uh, it was nice and nostalgic well, he, to see him again. Well, he does say, "You only got well, the one that, dad." That, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's the line that kills me. He's like, "All right, take care of your old man." He's the only one. I'm just like, "God, that's just the take sort of shit of you hear." Baby. You know? See you tomorrow night. Oh man, that's the way. <laughs> that's oh hilarious. my god, yes. That is. You know, I want to watch everybody's. Everybody wants some now, and just see if he is in it because he might be. Great so movie. yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry, Alex. Were you you were talking no, about the, the I, check? I'm still waiting for the big controversial take, man. Oh, okay. So here's the <laughs> thing: it has to do with the the length of movies. You know, like you've got like a long movie, right? Like we were just talking about this right before we started recording. You said, um, you know, like Gangs of New York. You, Nick was talking about how, like, even though you're not necessarily a big Scorsese fan, you felt like this was one that like really earned its running time. It really felt like there was a passage of time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm not a Scorsese I, kind of going fan. back to the idea. Just want to put that out there. Well, that's I'm a fair. Scorsese yeah, I mean, you like, fan. And you like after hours. Oh yeah. Anyway, you're right. Sorry. <laughs> For offend the thought that I would. Don't you dare misrepresent my Scorsese takes. <laughs> anyway, so here's the thing: is I think proximity like i said with characters for a long time is a, is a big thing and i think that's one of the brilliant things about this movie is and this is the thing is i actually think mason jr's a pretty fucking downbeat character i mean he's restless and he's filled with a lot of self-effacing sarcasm and all that other stuff which everybody is at that age but like 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 there's that point where like Sheena, you can tell even before they break up, she's getting pretty tired of his negativity and bullshit. Cause like, remember when they're breaking up and she's like, well, it's actually kind of relief to not have to be around someone who's so gloomy all the time. And I'm like, Hey, Sheena, baby, take us fucking with you, man. I don't want to be around this guy very much either. <laughs> you know? So I, I, I mean, I hate to say it cause it's not that I dislike. That's the what has the creepiest he thing I've ever job, heard. But like, well, it's just like Sheena, hey, baby, another take us with you. Sheena, baby, let's go watch her movie, man. It's probably awesome. There's partying wow. and, and and people probably like yeah. have jokes and shit. No, anyway, 
Ah, sigh. Anyway, so the thing is, oh, I read. So man. here's the thing is, I read. I read a lot of reviews about Boyhood the last couple of weeks, and almost all, well, not all of them, but several of them had this sort of variation on the idea of like, well, Mason Jr. at the beginning, he doesn't seem all that exceptional, but eventually he grows into a really interesting person, and I would argue that he does not become more impressive at all. Um, and, and, and his art, his photographs aren't really that great, to be perfectly honest. Drag him, Dan. I'm just saying, I'm I, I, like leaving aside his social media rant, which is fairly accurate, but his deep thoughts, like at the party with Sheena, are like they're understandable, but they're not very well said. It's like I can think, I mean, I, I, I can think of a lot of people I knew at that age or people I know at that age now who are like way more elegant. And I think he's a very typical, frustratedly inarticulate, uh, average teen. And, but here's the thing. Despite that, I think I do become fond of Mason Jr., but it doesn't have anything to do with him becoming more interesting. I don't think the critics found him more interesting either. I think it has to do with the proximity. I think it has to do with the fact we've spent three hours with the guy, and you kind of get to this point where you're like, you get a little affection. It's just like in real life, because like, there's a lot of people we have affection for that, like, eh, if we only spent an afternoon with them, we'd be like, that guy was a fucking jackass, you know? But like, if you spend years with them, I don't know, like at a job or if they're a member of your family, you know, and you're like, yeah, I've got affection. I don't I'm not crazy about them, but it's not that they become more interesting over that time period. It's just proximity. We've, yeah. we've, you're achieving more empathy because you're you're getting you're, you're spending all that quantity time with them. It's like, you know, like I often hear like there'll be criticism films. Um, you, know, you hear this especially nowadays where they'll talk about like movies that have like really, really evil people in them. Right. You'll have like. Like really awful people, like you know, a movie like about Hitler movie or with Kevin Spacey. <laughs> right, right. Well, but I mean, where they're playing. <laughs> I don't mean Spacey's oh, no. playing himself, but meant. that's fine. <laughs> oh, okay, guys. But I mean, you know, like Hitler, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, Phyllis Schlafly. You know, really evil people. Fictional it's like, characters, and it's all fictional characters. But it's it's like they talk about how people criticize them because they're like, oh, well, the filmmakers they made them so sympathetic. I don't think they do. I think the simple act of being around people for that long makes them human. Yeah, it's an uncomfortable recognition that there's a human being there, even if obviously they're despicable. It's like, oh, wait, this is real. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, I remember Vim Vendors, who I love, he had a really, really big criticism of the movie Downfall, the one about Hitler, you know, the one that that bunker scene makes the the rounds on the internet all the time. It's, It's hilarious. Yeah, they're just hysterical. But anyway, the the movie, Vin Vendors said in, about Downfall, he's like, well, it's obvious the filmmakers cast him in a far too positive light. And I'm like, they did not cast him in a positive light. They just showed him <laughs> doing various routine tasks as well as being a monster. So it, hold, it, on, wait, 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 hold on, wait, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I need to mm-hmm. stop here because I'm, <laughs> I'll, I'll say I was, I was, I was not thinking that this was going to be, um, this um so this person said that they they tried to show hitler in the movie downfall in too positive of a light yeah yeah well Vin Vendors, that... he's a fantastic filmmaker he's german and i mean he's sure. he's definitely a guy who knows his craft i mean he's a he's a brilliant filmmaker but yeah like he actually published an op-ed in one of the major i don't know was der spiegel or one of the big German papers or magazines, and he said, "Oh yeah, they they obviously they they were they may have meant well, but they ended up making him too sympathetic." And I'm like, "I don't think so, dude." He's, I mean, have you seen Downfall? Scene when he, 
I have. I watched it for the first time this year, and I thought it was fantastic. But I, it I is it's say, amazing. I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I can't even like me neither have like a fun. I don't. I don't either. about it. Like I, I he's oh, obviously a horrible person to everyone, <laughs> not just people in fucking concentration camps. He's also a bad person <laughs> right. to everyone around him. Like, yeah, he's also uh, a shitty friend. Okay. Let's face yeah, it. Yeah, no, like he's just <laughs> no, it's an true. overall what? horrible person that has no redeeming <laughs> qualities at all. I mean, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I, know. I agree. It, like, but the vendors, like, uh, well, vendors yeah. said that. Well, that opening scene where he's he's talking to the women who are going to be his secretaries, he he comes off as too kindly, and I'm like. He, He's just a little more oh, soft-spoken so there. He doesn't come off that Well, they're not Jewish. He's hitting on his one, secretary. He's a good person. Right, like one, one scene. <laughs> he literally, like, vendors specifically pointed to that one scene at the beginning. I'm like, dude, of all the scenes, oh, like, man. you really think that one scene is going to make us go, you know, that Hitler, he wasn't so bad after all, huh? Oh, I, I, this has really turned me around on this. <laughs> you know, but I swear to God. I mean, and again, I respect the hell out of uh-huh. vendors. He's made some of best films ever made in my opinion but i but it's like you'll hear that you'll people go oh well this film about my friend Dahmer, where it's like i don't know they made him a little too sympathetic it's like no we just spent time with him we spent time with him in a humanized setting where we couldn't think of him as just this one one facet of his personality this one you know demon demon element of him or whatever and i I, honestly, I think that's one of the things I really like about Boyhood and, and long movies in general, but especially with Boyhood, because I think, like I said, this is my big controversial opinion, is that Mason Jr. is really not that exceptional. And I don't think he's going to grow up and be very exceptional. I mean, at least not from the evidence we've seen. I don't think that's but controversial. I think I a, agree. Do, and B, I've okay, heard that somewhat. Uh, Oh, all right. Well, I feel good because I had not seen it anywhere, and I was like, oh, boy, maybe I'm an asshole. I think it's you know? easy to get <laughs> so, but, seduced by Linklater's presentation of it, but I don't think Linklater exactly. is conflating the disillusionment that, uh, you know, uh, Mason Jr. basically experiences right. with an actual real-world uh, knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's yeah, one absolutely. of the strong points of, of the mm-hmm. character, actually, is that he does feel like an everyman, even though he somehow finds himself at um, huge <laughs> backyard parties in a Houston suburb when he's 14. I'm, it, uh, yeah, and he's got like out, this, like, like do, do people in Texas just do all of them have above, have above ground pools? Like at every house he goes to, they just happen to have an above ground pool or uh, sorry, an in ground pool. Well, and I'm just like, yeah, well, yeah. You I tell Texas, but when I went to Arizona, they that do was everything much... bigger. Every house, actually, that is kind of yeah. true. Yeah, but but okay. I mean, well, I, I guess yeah. just to, to but just to land on this really fast. Basically, the thing that I like about one of the things I like about that is that we do have affection for him, even though, like I said, I, I do feel like, like you said, he's very much an everyman. He's very typical, and it's kind of funny because, like, I totally equate it to what we do in real life because in real life. You know, we all have people we know who have friends or maybe a family member like, wow, wow their parents, is, they're, they're, you know, their dad is a real asshole. Why don't they just cut off this person from their life? They're super toxic, you know, or they've got some deadbeat daughter or whatever. And it's like, well, why don't what, what is wrong with them? And it's like, well, 
because they spent all that time with that person, you know, that proximity and that 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 empathy, they can't see what we the disinterested observer from the outside can see. And and that's the thing that I like about Boyd. And like I said, a lot of other longer movies is that you do, you spend all this quantity of time with them. And after a while, it's like, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm starting to warm up to this person a little. And I think that's, again, it kind of goes back to what Nick and I always talk about, which is that quote from Ebert about um, film is the greatest empathy making machine ever invented or something like that. Right. Uh, yeah, what, uh, yeah, I can't remember if that's the yeah, exact films quote. Are but basically, anyway, empathy yeah. machines. Right, and so I, I think uh, this movie really shows that more than almost any movie. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that I, I didn't know that uh, yeah. there were other people who felt that way about Mason Jr. And I feel a little vindicated now, so I'm happy about that. And I'm yeah. also very happy to find out that. Well, I'm happy to find out that you guys you pointed us pointed this out at the beginning. That like when I went and saw this movie, by the way, I was alone in the theater, so it was the exact opposite of you guys' experience. There was like nobody there, ah. and I knew nothing. I, seriously, I knew nothing about the movie other than Linklater had been doing this twelve-year project. So I'd heard about it like about halfway through, and, and then I forgot about it. And then when it came, came out, I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go see this. So I knew it was Linklater. I knew it was the twelve-year project. But I knew nothing else. I didn't know it was his daughter playing the the the, the sister. And about like a uh, third of the way through it, I'm like. Boy, uh, the gal who's playing the sister, she's really starting to suck as an actor. What the hell? She's <laughs> really just phony shit in. <laughs> like, I was like, child. wow, she's like, <laughs> but it was, but she was so good at the beginning. That's how I could tell. I was like, she was just like, I was like, man, she's phoning this shit. She's phoning in from like, from like fucking Anchorage, Alaska. She's the other side of the country. She's phoning this shit. I mean, it's like she's air mailing this shit. And, and it's like, I realize some of that has to do with like when you're that, that generation, I think, and I'm not bagging on this, that generation, but I mean, there is a certain like thing you get to a certain age, um, you know, with boys, their voice drops a bit, which you know happens. But there's that kind of affectation of like emotionlessness that's kind of fashionable. So I think she has some of that, which is just when you get to that age for a while. But man, I mean, it was so obvious to me when I was watching. Again, I was by myself. I didn't know anything about the movie. It was so obvious to me. I'm like, this person really didn't give a fuck about four years in. What happened? <laughs> so yeah. When I found out later. Because I, I just found this out recently. I'm like, oh, yeah, she apparently did not want to be in the movie. And I'm just imagining that father-son conversation <laughs> where, like, where she's that's like, yeah, a, yeah I don't want to do it anymore. And he's like, what's that? I, what did I, I say, father-son? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, father-daughter <laughs> stuff. Yeah, but I mean, I'm a parent-child conversation in which yeah, no, they're I, like, I, I, you I, I know, gotcha. it's like, well, it's yeah. – it, it's too bad, honey. You're gonna have to fucking do this. For the most part, now I will say it works. And, and, and he's saying like, "Yeah, it's gonna be a real mistake if you don't continue on. So you should just get like, uh, I'm gonna make your life like, hell. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna be Bill. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh my god, I hate Squaw. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. You don't so, like me, oh, do you, Samantha Linklater? <laughs> well, that's okay. I don't like me much either. That's her character name. Her real name is Lorelai. Oh, yeah. I forgot what her uh, first name was. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, I mean, I'm sure she's a wonderful person. I'm sure she's a wonderful person <laughs> in real life. What is I have this? nothing but, but, but it's so the, obvious I'm she sure did she's not good in real life, shit. but ugh. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I don't know, but I'm, I'm just saying she might she might be a wonderful person with many wonderful qualities, and she may, I don't know, she may, like, volunteer at a local, you know, homeless uh, shelter. I don't know, but in this, I was very disappointed by her lack of commitment, I have to say. <laughs> so I'm starting to doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Lack of commitment? I like these time our lives. <laughs> Parent angry that she left Girl Scouts. Like I'm really disappointed with those. I paid five hundred dollars for this piano lesson. <laughs> I'm a just real saying, DD I'm right now. Disappointed, Daddy. <laughs> I'm just saying everybody else, including that little kid, was able to somehow muster the the, the energy to do that for a couple well, weeks. I feel like every everyone year. else had saying, more I'm of a choice. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure Richard but was I mean, like, listen, Lorelai, it's really unethical for me to get that many more children to do this, so you're going to need to take one for the team. Yeah, it would have been weird when she well, was actually, replaced with Emma Stone or something. That would have been weird. <laughs> that would have been That would have been really nice. I can I play I any race. That. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. We're not going to get into it. So, Ethan Hawke. Yeah. Oh, Ethan. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I will just say that I absolutely love Ethan Hawke in this movie. I think, as I mentioned earlier, that honestly the title is almost even more apt uh, to describe his character arc than it is uh, Mason's, even if Mason's is obviously more literal. Um, but his performance yeah. in here... I liked that, by the way. ...is so, so good because he... I genuinely think is the one person who thought about, uh, I mean, child actors excluded because they're just, you know, just doing their best or whatever. But um, I think he's the one person who thought about what would be different from year to year about his character as far as his affectations go because there is a genuine uh, evolution. And I don't just mean that he becomes a better person, which he does, but like an actual dropping of things he did as a younger man uh, altogether at the wayside, but never actually losing the sense of his character. Because, like, you know, mm -hmm. he is so soft-spoken by the end of the movie, and I don't take that as a, oh, well, you know, they just got more writerly, or, or he just got bored with the character. I, I take it as an actual progression because he is still technically embodying who Mason Sr. is in all the little moments that we see that this is just an older version. I mean, I love the uh, the moment when they're at uh, Mason Jr.'s birthday party with his uh, grandparents and, uh, you know, Mason Sr.'s uh, in-laws. It's actually... It's, it's actually Oh, are you saying it's her parents? Yeah, I was going to say, I, his in-laws, yeah. Mason's grandparents. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love when uh, yeah, they're, yeah. they're questioning him about yeah. the whole baptism and whatnot. And then he, um, he asks him, like, <laughs> uh, oh, are we baptized? And the way uh, Ethan Hawke just looks at him with that reed in his mouth, like, you serious? And <laughs> um, it's just so great. And <laughs> I, um, I absolutely love that. But I just think throughout, he is just so, so good. And... I got. I just. I just love Ethan Hawke. That's mostly what I wanted to say. <laughs> he. He's. He's got such a great handle on what this character was because he is. He is playing the part of the charming asshole throughout the entirety of the film, basically. Yeah. And he's. Doing I would say charming. Charming deadbeat because I don't really ever think that he's malicious like i don't think he i don't think 
I don't think he's malicious, yeah. but I do think there are points in the film where he is, um, he, he's not helping anyone. Oh, no, for sure. Um, so, but I think of an well, asshole no, as like someone like that guy she brought home who wouldn't, uh, you know, who she didn't get a babysitter and the way he just like that guy talked to her on the couch of like, you know, like, Oh like, yeah. That's yeah. what I think of as like asshole, asshole. I guess I'm uh, more in the like suave asshole. Yeah, type. yeah, I, uh, for sure. He, he, he's 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 a dick, but he also is very charming. So <laughs> yeah. it's easy to see. I think that um, watching it, and, and again, this is only the second time I watched it, but I I watched it with my wife Emily, and um, I, it wasn't the most like reaction. I guess it was probably the second, but. The most surprised when we find out that he has a family and a young child mm. and it just like springs up out of nowhere. And yeah. it, um, it does a lot of heavy lifting uh, for his character in the next five years because uh, <laughs> that pretty much establishes everything for what he now has become. <laughs> it does, but I think it's also yeah. realistic in that manner, which is that oh, yeah, it's sure, like but it, 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 he... it's an abrupt change. Oh, yeah. For sure. I um the other thing I will say as far as him being an asshole, which I agree with, is that part of his growth as a human being though, is if you look at his interactions with Mason Jr. throughout the film, the way he talks about Olivia changes from start to finish. Mm. Because he is I'm not yeah. saying he's a, just the, the biggest dick in the world or anything like that, but obviously in the early stages he is he does make basically he goes from making character assassination judgments behind her back to just genuinely asking questions about her. And that and there's a huge rift as to cool. obviously what that says about the person and, and their capability for empathy. Because by the end, he's basically saying, like, she, mm-hmm. how's she doing in school? You know, like, it's okay. We're going to make it work. You know, and all that kind of stuff. Whereas even basically- in that final, even in that final scene, when um, he has the line about the parade of alcoholics going through the house. Yeah. He even literally zips his mouth closed to not make a comment. Yep. Which, you know, 12 yeah. years prior, yeah, he I would. That. Yeah. Oh, he would have had some thoughts. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you remember, like, when he goes out bowling with them, doesn't even say something about, like, you know, your mom, she, uh. She's a real I piece of work. I, I can't remember what he says. Yeah, it's a real piece of work. You know, I actually, I think that is one of the things I really like about Ethan Hawke's performance is that he really does nail that odd awkwardness of being a guy who's like trying to get back in his kids' lives, and he's a, and at the beginning he's a little too enthusiastic, but the kids are kind of into it because they really miss him, even though they know it's kind of overkill. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, or and, and I, but you're right, there is that change because like by the time he's, you know, you find out like Alex says, he's, he has, you find out he has a, a wife and a kid, and it's like he's sitting there chatting with uh uh jim and they got you know and they're both kind of trying to make it work and they're awkward but i mean there's no like hard feelings but it's you know hands in pockets guys struggling to kind of pull off the bland guys talk and shit and trying to be cool and like okay we're not gonna fuck this up for everybody (laughs) you know i mean just he really nails that shit so well with his brother in the uh in the final graduation who looks like james murphy from lcd sound system for some reason to me (laughs) yes he does he like, does you know what i figured out is that he's the uh sheriff in uh uh thunder road remember oh, that really? movie we saw some months ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah he uh, uh okay. he's the one who's like 
he's like talking to the main character. And he's like, yeah. So uh, I believe I told you uh, you weren't going to be coming in for the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, like, yeah. So maybe get that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but yeah, I love that. Mm. Honestly, like the the like some of the most I don't know if you guys feel this, the most touching like some of the most touching stuff, and I don't know why because I'm typically not a fan of anything even remotely good old boy. Uh, but the scenes with like you know Ethan Hawke's wife with Annie and her parents, like honestly, it was kind of touching because they're all trying so hard and they're and and you know what I mean like they're giving them the Bible yeah and they're giving them the gun so, and they're like thank was you so and it, it was like, so to have him give him the gun oh my yeah. God. it was it was perfect <laughs> it was perfect it's exactly right. Well, you know what it is? Is this guy? He had a daughter. He uh, didn't have a son. He's only right. got a daughter, and so I he's know, got but, this grandson. Man, is, and you know this grandson is like you know, yeah. <laughs> but you know this grandson Holy is like shit. not his like first choice. I mean, I'm sure right. he's not like I'm sure Mason Junior's not his ideal grandson, his but it's he's got, you know he's I mean basically. Yeah, and it's like he's a dude with floofy hair and the interesting No, it's, it's one of the best you know, depictions of city. But yet, yeah, yeah, of like it, familial it, politeness. He takes the leap. He's like, I'm gonna. Well, and also just he does. I think it's real emotion too. He's like, I'm gonna give you the gun, and we're gonna take you out shooting, and it's very awkward. But you know, but but Mason Jr. and Samantha, they don't say this is stupid they're like oh, okay we're not going to slap the guy's hand away you know I mean, it's like they're they're all trying to be a little vulnerable and, it, and it's something that happens more and more in life because like families are much more unconventional than they used to be like maybe 50 years ago so like yeah. you have these kind of new families being kind of put together and it's a lot of times it's like well i don't know you very well but i love this person and the person i love loves this other person who loves you so i guess we're kind of family now yeah. And it's funny, it's it's there's something I find kind of touching about it when I see like that in real life and, and in the movie where people are kinda awkwardly kinda feeling each other out, like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna be in this for a while, you know, how, can we get along with each other? Can we make allowances for each other? Even though this is something that's totally not my thing at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? I thought that was like really kind of kind of beautiful in a way. Even though, like I said, I hate I hate good old boy bullshit <laughs> all that macho shit i cannot fucking stand it but the guy seemed the, the 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 grandparents so to speak sounded they seemed so genuine you know what i mean it seemed like they really were trying hard and like i said i'm sure these kids are not their ideal grandchildren <laughs> you know what i mean but i don't know it was just it was a really it was, it was kind of a standout for me it was something i didn't really remember from the first time i saw it yeah no i mean in in a more serious tone than the you know it was the bible and the gun um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot there of, of, of that being no, like that's a Republican's that welcome actual... kit. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. Okay. Uh, one of the yeah, it's like very here, here's your care package. One of the very few like clear details I remember from the first time um, is them going to ask people in Texas if they can put an Ooh. Obama sign on their yard. And that one guy yes. was like, you cannot put a Barack Hussein Obama sign on my yard. <laughs> I oh love that shit. It's like, I can, I'm well within my rights to shoot you. <laughs> and then as they're walking away. I'm talking to a uh, white man in he, Texas. Yeah, and as they're walking away, Samantha's oh, like, he yeah. has a Confederate flag in his house. Like, doesn't she live in Texas? Like, I'm not saying well, that she lives everybody, Houston, whatever, Boston, so not really. but the idea that it would, like, not be even a thing 
doesn't quite I mean I've seen it in yeah. my own town in 2020 which I get where oh, like a, a different you know I mean times are weird and whatever but the idea that it was like such a weird foreign entity I was like what but anyway yeah, the, oh, the yeah. stealing I mean, of the McCain bombsite is just <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's just... <laughs> That's so good. That's great. Yeah, I love that. So, but yeah, I mean, I grew up with all that shit all over, all over the place when I was. I mean, I saw the Confederate. I still see it all the time in my neighborhood. You know, and, and I, granted, it's not usually on people's cars anymore, although sometimes it is. But it's usually in their garage. You know, it's yeah. still there. So if I'm seeing it here, then surely. She, she should have been seen it in Texas you know, during I that time. So. <laughs> should we go on to uh, final ratings? Oh, I, I thought you had something else on Ethan Hawkman. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. I, I mean, I mostly just wanted there. to make sure I mentioned that I think he's the standout in the movie. <laughs> and let me tell mm-hmm. you, he really can skip a stone. Man, yeah. That was great. I know. I, actually, totally. that seemed like one yeah. of those weird things where it's like they caught the first take and they were like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I wondered if it was like uh, in uh, a Tree of Life where Castine, um, like that butterfly, landed on her hand, oh, yeah, and she's yeah. like, "Oh, we should film this," you know? Like they, she was like just walking around on a break, and it landed on her. So she walked like really slowly, like back to the house they were shooting, and then they filmed it. I'm like, I wonder if it was like that. We're just like, oh, we just we, we thought he was just gonna naff up that <laughs> stone skipping thing, but he actually nailed it. <laughs> Yeah, and I think the other thing about Ethan Hawke in this movie, especially in that second half, because my personal favorite scene in the entire movie is the the backstage green room concert that Mason and Mason have together. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. the one thing about Ethan Hawke in this is that it's almost unfair because out of all the other actors, he's the only one that throughout the years of even making this movie got more and more experience with Linklater so by the time he's in the third act of the movie he's pretty much uh, a pro at um, I think working and collaborating with Linklater Mm -hmm. in a way that the other ones are just not like we're not given the exact same uh, affording of that opportunity now they're all good obviously but he's like he'd already made two before Mm -hmm. movies by the time he's in that third stage Mm -hmm. uh, of that so I think that's part of it but uh, still Still great. Well, he was also in. Uh, he was also in tape and the Newton Boys. Uh, I think I remember hearing Ethan Hawke say that basically, in an interview, he said his he thinks of Linklater as his chief lifelong collaborator. Like yeah. that's the guy he's going to be working with twenty years from now. They just have a simpatico, and and that's why he's done all these. That's why they you know he yeah, keeps showing up as he should. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I know we we are like on the cusp of final ratings. Yeah, what's so that? I don't want to go off on a super. <laughs> Extreme tangent. Here. Do it. But uh, <laughs> um, do it. Because do this movie it. just got brought up to me from our friend Anna. And um, have you ever seen the movie Predestination? Uh, Dan. Oh yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yes, oh, yes, man. I love it. Um, I have. Um, and uh, and it, that's a perfect movie for Ethan Hawke because apparently he doesn't age in real life. So <laughs> you know he's the perfect guy to be in that movie. True. <laughs> He uh, looked just yeah, like Sarah Snook. Yeah, did you, yeah, didn't didn't you guys do an episode on that? We did. Yes. Yeah. I have I have not listened to it yet, but I should because I, I only listen to the episodes for movies I've already seen, and I have seen them, and I loved it. So I should do that. I, I'll have to go back. I thought to you were going to say only listen to the episodes that I'm on. I mean that too. 
I do. Well, there's that too. Yes. <laughs> but in that sense, it's true because I only am on episodes where I've seen the movie, so it's perfect. That's true. We will never break that tradition. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, that's right. But predestination is great. Yes. It is. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, Sarah Snook is like my hero. I mean, I don't know why she's not in more stuff. Oh, well, she's in I Succession know. right now. So. Oh, man, that's so good. Oh, really? Yeah, she's one of the best really? characters on that show. Uh, what's that one about? It, Dan? Oh my! Mm-mm. No, I don't know you're anything mi- about it. I don't think. I mean, I've heard the title, but oh man, you're missing out. Yeah, that is the current what, HBO the, show that is essentially, um, you know, who Jesse Armstrong is. He was the writing partner with Ianucci on In the Loop. Uh, Jesse Armstrong created oh, yes, this show that is basically about a family that's a stand-in for the uh, the Murdochs, you know, the kind of big conglomerate media, uh, conservative right-wing oh, family, yes. and it's all about their They're real power people. plays. <laughs> yes. Oh wait, yes, people. yes. Uh, who's the uh, the? Is it Brian Cox? Yeah, he's is the he patriarch. The... Yes. Yep. Okay, yeah, I have seen some clips. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, I love Alan Ruck. Yep. Alan Ruck and I are actually very good close friends on Facebook. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure he has no idea who I am, but yes, we are friends on Facebook. (laughs) I love that guy, dude. Cameron is like (laughs) one of my favorite characters, man. Seriously. So. No, no, I'm not mm-hmm. laughing at that part. We're laughing at other parts. <laughs> We're laughing at, at you at other parts. Oh, We're yeah. not laughing at you. We're laughing at you at other parts. So, yeah. No. <laughs> but, yeah, I love Predestination. It's a great film. Um, <laughs> and I, I need to watch it again. So. Me too. And I'm my own grandpa. Anyway, so, final ratings? <laughs> yes. I've always wanted like to, to say that because I'm never the one to say it. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Oh boy. Uh, I'm gonna go first. Why don't we? All go, right, all right. I'll, why don't I'll we go, go backwards? No, I'll go first. No, I want to go first. No, I want to go. No, I want to go first. No, I'm kidding. I'm just talking about the release. No, Daniel. Sorry. Go on. <laughs> oh man, I, Nicholas. I, <laughs> I pretty much have said everything I I could say about this, which is that once again I'll just reiterate that I think that this is a great achievement um not as good of a film as it is an experience but the experience in and of itself is undeniable and obviously there is uh film value to be found here um i think the acting across the board is for the most part great and even when it's not great uh lorelei uh it's basically uh it's weirdly works because she unfortunately gets more awkward as a teenager would probably get more awkward so it it totally kind of uh, works true recedes into the background <laughs> Alex are you laughing because I very coldly called out Lorelai Linklater in my final yeah. rating <laughs> Lorelai <laughs> see the problem is I've seen Gilmore Girls too many times the so the way Emily Gilmore says Lorelai uh, it's stuck in my head but anyway <laughs> call her Sam again yeah, yeah that's true <laughs> Oh boy! God, I bet she would hate that. Like, I bet that would be like a triggering thing, which I can't say I blame her. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Samantha. And this Linklater. is your daughter Sam, right? <laughs> and then Richard's like, "Yes, John, yes, it John is." And he, and he looks at Laura like, "Just, just go with it. It's okay." I hate squash. <laughs> <laughs> 
God. Oh, brother. Um, but <laughs> but I uh, I think this is pretty good, but never unfortunately great. I um I just think it's got unfortunately too much of a foundational weakness from year to year in its narrative, which I would say normally in a Linklater film is never the point, but routinely he does falter at uh basically proving that it's not the point when he puts things in there like like the waiter coming up to her or her having her big outburst and whatnot um to the point where i'm i'm conflicted at wanting to just watch a series of moments that happen but also trying to see that there is a tapestry being woven here that i'm not completely a fan of the final product but i do think it's a great achievement i think Ooh. it's endlessly entertaining uh so i i give it three and a half Ooh. out of five stars and uh i'll probably watch it for for the rest of my life you know like every every once in a while so dan yeah. what about you mm-hmm. um yeah i know what you mean uh you know i wonder in some ways if the um like the waiter thing in the family uh restaurant thing or her outburst i wonder in a way if because like i said there's so few like really big um, big like dramatic beats that when those ha- happen, it's like whoa, you know, it almost feels like it's so different than the rest of it, which is you know kind of just like I said, accumulation of small details. But I don't know, it's just interesting. Um, I mean, I'm I'm like I said, I'm pretty unreserved in my praise. Um, and you know, I've heard I read some critiques where people are like, well, you know, there's nothing much really happens, and you know, if they did a film like this but it was just two hours and it took place over a year, people wouldn't like it. And I'm like, well, that's not true because there are people who do those kind of movies. I mean, like Cassavetes or uh, Mike Lee, like if you see like uh, Life is Sweet, which is a great film, or um, Another Year, he did that a few years ago. They're very much like, man, nothing really happened in that movie, and yet something did, kind of. So I, I, I think To that, be fair to the, those the directors that, is that those are heavily improvised, which is almost the antithesis true. of what these are, even if they're improvised true, from true. a yearly standpoint. They sat down and they wrote this, and this was the best they could write. That's uh, actually a really good point. I, I had forgotten the fact just, that both Cassavetes and Lee <laughs> do mostly... I mean, of course, they, they, they work it out, so like when they film, right. by then they do have it all... But you're right. You're right. That is, those are both improvisational. I mean, there's other people too who do stuff where it's very, it feels prosaic, but it, but there's something you come away with it feeling like you really watch something and you don't always know why. But anyway, uh, but I mean, you know, maybe like in 50 years time when we've got like, you know, CGI de-aging has gotten to the point where it's totally seamless, you know, maybe I guess we could have the thought experiment again then, but I don't know, you know, you never know. You know, so it'd be, it'd be hard for me to take, the um, temporality of the 12 year project away from the film, it, it would be like, that's cause to me, like I said before, it's like, it's almost the main theme. Like that's I mean, well, it's more than the main theme. I think it's almost the main point. So for me, it'd be like trying to do like, you know, doing like a, like a movie about Godzilla and like, but we're not going to have Godzilla in it. It's like, well, dude, is it really a Godzilla film then? You know what I mean? It'd be like doing the 12 year project in one year. It wouldn't work because the meanings imbued in the length of time. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm just going to say I, I give this guy five stars. I'm, I think it's a it's a fantastic movie. And like you said, it is endlessly entertaining. I mean, it's definitely a movie I'll keep coming back to. And um, I, I definitely am not going to wait, you know, another six years to watch it again. So <laughs> I'll be watching it again soon. 
Awesome, man. That's Thank great. You. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, I really, really like this movie. I think this is really well put together by Linklater in 12 years. Uh, it's just a crazy experiment that worked out really well because of a filmmaker's craft and a cast that was into doing this and wanting to keep this mostly for the entirety of it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go on. I just want to really quickly say, because I'll forget otherwise, uh, but I'm just reminded that you just said one of the funniest trivias, uh, facts or whatever about this movie, which is that it was supposed to be called 12 years the whole time. And then right before it was released, yeah. it was like, here's 12 years of slave. And they were like, oh, <laughs> uh huh. God damn you, McQueen. <laughs> I spent 12 years on this movie! I just wanted to make sure I threw that out there, because that was a real, real thing. (laughs) It's true. Just called boyhood. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, do we have a... a, Yeah, childhood. Well, but he's a boy. Okay, boyhood. I don't know. Get off my back. (laughs) You know, they spent like a month. There was like five guys in a room just bouncing ideas. They they came up with thousands of titles. So it definitely was all men. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> oh, you know it. <laughs> no, anyway, go on, Alex. Uh, uh, no, I, I, I really like this movie. I think this movie is a great time, and it's just, it's just so well put together. And I'm just a huge fan. So, four stars out of five for me for Boyhood. All right. Yeah. Woo-hoo. So, if you out there have any <laughs> thoughts on Boyhood, send them on to us at filmtank uh, at gmail.com. Uh, you can find all of our episodes on filmtankshow.com, also on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and other places like that. So, um, from our friend Dan, thank you very much for joining us. That oh, was my pleasure as always. Right on. Uh, uh, and from Nick Cheney. I wouldn't say it's my pleasure, but thank you. <sighs> and uh, from myself, Alex Diegman, as always, thank you very much for joining us here on Film Tank. We'll catch up with you next time. Let me go.